12 minutes of getting my vaccine, I was on the ground. My vitals were extremely unstable. My blood pressure was so high, I could have stroked out. My heart rate was really high. I eventually was taken away by ambulance to the hospital. And that was the first of, I think, five 911 calls, five hospitalizations. At the age of eight, Angela Wolbrecht already knew she would become a nurse. A serious car crash had brought her to the emergency room, where she was treated by especially kind and compassionate medical staff, profoundly inspiring her. She has worked for the hospital system for over two decades. After suffering a severe injury from a COVID-19 shot, she got good care, but became appalled to see that others weren't getting the same. Today, she works for the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation, where she advocates for her vaccine-injured patients and friends. My whole perception of these people caring for us and putting us first and putting our health and safety first was not that. There was greed and money and power that came before what actually was happening to us. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kellick. Angela Wolbrecht, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you so much, Jan. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. You are a hero of mine. I am just so grateful to be here speaking with you, and it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, very kind of you to say, thank you. And of course, you're here uh, because you're one of the stars of the film, uh, The Unseen Crisis, which is screening uh, this evening at a New York City film festival, um, and actually up for best documentary, amazingly. Um, and so you're gonna be you know, up there with us doing, doing our Q&A. Yes. So before we jump into the film, before we um, you know, cover all these wonderful things that you're doing right now with the Vaccine Safety Research Foundation, I want to kind of dig into how you became a nurse and how this all started. It's kind of an amazing story. So why, why don't we start there? Yes, it is. It's a very um, touching journey for me, a really important one. I'm from two nationalities. My mom is from the Seychelles Islands, a little tiny group of islands off the east coast of Africa in the middle of the Indian Ocean. My father was American and I was born in the U.S. and when I was eight years old, my father and I, we were in a car accident and unfortunately it was a fatal car crash. Um, I survived uh, the accident with a fractured vertebrae. Um, unfortunately, my dad did not. He was killed instantly on the scene. My mom wasn't in the state at the time, so I was rushed to a children's hospital and it was very terrifying, you know, being this little girl um, learning that my father, who I loved, you know, tremendously, was gone. I didn't understand what was happening. I was in pain, obviously, black and blue from the collision. And I had these nurses who were taking care of me. They treated me like I was their little girl and their family member. And I just remember waking up and my room was decorated with balloons and teddy bears. They just loved me so much and gave me the best care and really kind of got me through the most tragic you know, time of my life, you know, I had nobody. My, my dad was gone, my mom was on her way. And so at that point, once I, you know, kind of healed from my back injury, I decided I was gonna be a nurse. And I was not just going to be a nurse, I was gonna be an amazing nurse. And I was going to give back what was given to me, this incredible gift of love and compassion. And, um, you know, I trusted them. So from a very young age, I knew that's what I wanted to do. If I can just jump in very briefly, there's this other element in your story which I find absolutely fascinating that your, you know, your uncle in the Seychelles was actually took power in a coup yes. and was the dictator of the Seychelles for, 
for quite a number of years. And this was the kind of the context that you grew up in. And part of the reason why you actually ended up spending so much time in the U.S. But just tell me a little bit about that and what that life was like, because I, I, I think it might factor into your development as well. Yeah. Yeah, so my uncle in um, 1977, um, he was the vice president of the Seychelles Islands. A, a guy named James Mancombe was the president. And my uncle, with the help of the US and the Nigerian military, um, decided to do a coup d'etat and take over and become the president. Um, and although it was a very peaceful coup, it, he ran the country for 27 years. Um, the first 16 of those years was a dictatorship. So my life going back home to my, my country, um, we all lived together. My grandmother lived at the house with my uncle and my aunts and my cousins. And my, my life was very sheltered there. You know, we were surrounded by military, by bodyguards, and I wasn't allowed to play outside um, for fear, you know, with all the weapons around us. From a young age, you know, I think both my mom and I knew that that even though my, my uncle did amazing things for the country and I loved him dearly, um, that's really not how I wanted to grow up. I wanted to grow up in a democracy where you, know, you could speak out against the government, where there was freedom of speech. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, you know, after my father passed away, my mom had no family here in the US. And so she wanted to be closer to her family and go home. Um, but at the same time realized that it, it wouldn't be a good life for me. And I also didn't like that lifestyle either. So I, I grew up in Europe. Um, I did junior high in Copenhagen in Denmark. Uh, I did some high school in Switzerland. And um, when I graduated, and, and I graduated at the age of 17, I, I wanted to go to school, medical school, nursing school. And I decided that the best place to be for me would be the U.S. Number one, because of the medical care. I thought that the U.S. was greatest in the world as far as medicine. And number two, it felt like the place to be my values, especially California. You know, I was a Democrat. I, I was for women's rights, gay rights, black, black lives. Um, you know, I wanted freedom. I wanted to be able to disagree with the government. I didn't ever want to be in that situation where I'd be in a country where somebody could just take power. And um, so I chose to come to the U.S. and and started my nursing, you know, career. Did six years of school, and um, that's where it all began. At eight years old, you knew what your life trajectory would have to be, and then you decided that it would be in the U.S. Yes. Um, and you did, you know, I, I, I've kind of looked into your, looked into your past a little, you were like, you know, extremely, I don't know if precocious is the right word, but you quickly figured out how to do nursing well, and you quickly were, you know, I guess a manager, I don't, I don't know what you, what, what you call it, a, a leader in your hospital, I think, in, in your early 20s, is kind of yes. remarkable. I graduated at 23. And I started working as a labor and delivery nurse. I, I loved birthing babies. I loved helping women at you know one of the most beautiful times of their lives, but also very scary. Um, and so I started off as a labor and delivery nurse. And within a year, I was uh, a charge nurse for pediatrics, for the neonatal intensive care unit, for labor and delivery, for anapartum, for postpartum. Um, so I, I pretty much was a charge nurse for the whole department of women, infants, and children. That kind of still wasn't enough for me because I felt like there was an aspect that I was still missing, that I wasn't giving back. 
um, going back to my accident, which was the trauma aspect of it. And so I then kind of took it upon myself to get trauma certified and got my trauma license. And I wanted to be in the emergency room anytime a trauma came in that involved, you know, a child or a pregnant woman. And even when the, you know, shifts were, were quiet up on our unit, I would go down and help in the ER because I knew that that's where I could make such an impact. So I, I was a little bit of an overachiever at a young age, but I think it's because, you know, of what happened to me, I knew right away what I wanted to do. So there wasn't that, you know, unknown of what should I do with my life. I knew right away and I went for it. Well, so let, let's fast forward now. You know, you've, you've, you're in this hospital, I guess it's in Sonoma, right, in California? It's um, actually, so I was um, at the actual main campus of UCSF for about five years, mm -hmm. overlapping with Marin General, which is a branch of UCSF, and that was in Marin. So mm -hmm. um, Marin County, California. And I was there for 17 years. So, so tell me now about what, what happened and how you, know, you came to think differently about the world. Yeah, I was actually in the um, Tubbs fire in California. We had a huge fire that blasted through. Um, Sonoma County is actually where I live. I would commute into work. Um, I actually got slightly injured in the fire. I, I tore a muscle off my hip. Um, our home was burned. 6,000 homes were destroyed in one night. And so I took some time off because I had to heal from my injury, rebuild a house, and um, then the pandemic hits. Um, I'm hearing that there's this deadly virus and everything shuts down in California. The beaches are closed, everything is closed. My daughter has to be pulled out of school and is, is homeschooled. So I kind of got through that. Um, I was terrified. You know, I, I took it really seriously. When, when the government told us that this was bad, I completely believed them. And when things started to reopen up again, I wanted to get back. I knew I had to come and help um, the medical community, the nurses deal with this pandemic. So I was ready to come back um, to work. I was really looking forward to this vaccine coming out. When the clinical trials were done I, and they told us they were safe and effective, I believed every single bit of that um, as truth. I never questioned anything. And so I rushed to go and get my vaccine. Um, I drove actually three hours to go get it. I was that eager. It was the first place that I could get it um, since I wasn't actively working at the hospital at the time. And within 12 minutes of getting my vaccine, I was on the ground. Um, this warmth kind of took over my body. I became numb. I started shaking uncontrollably. Um, I felt like something really bad was going on. I, at first I thought maybe I'm having an anaphylactic reaction. So the paramedics were surrounding me. I had all these people there. They were taking my vitals. My vitals were extremely unstable. Um, my blood pressure was so high, I could have stroked out. Um, my heart rate was really high and things went downhill from there. And I eventually was taken away by ambulance to the hospital. Um, and that was the first of, I think, five 911 calls, five hospitalizations. Um, those first few weeks, I was in the I, I was at the doctor's office every single day if I wasn't in the hospital. And I was so fortunate because I was so valued in the medical community where I lived and worked. They um, were eager to take care of me. And I was one of the first ones to really kind of get injured that they, they knew of. It was really early on. You know, it was when only, you know, nurses could get it, nurses and doctors and medical staff. So they were all over me. Um, they took care of me like I was theirs and they, they were aggressive with treatments. Um, they were doing all sorts of testing to try and figure out what was going on. So I was very, very lucky um, in that sense. 
Um, and so that's where my journey with this vaccine injury all began, was getting injured. Um, I, at the time, really kind of believed that it was rare. And so I was still pro-vaccine at that point. Um, I, I kind of looked at it like, you know, giving a penicillin to somebody. I'm, I'm actually allergic to penicillin. And so for me, if you give me penicillin, I can die. Whereas the majority of the population, it's a life-saving drug if you need it. So I was still at that point um, encouraging people to get it. I was actually saying to my family, you guys need to get this vaccine because I obviously can't have another dose and you need to do this. You know, you, we need to protect each other. We need to protect our elders, our immunocompromised. And I was very much still for the vaccine and I was very saddened by the fact that my body reacted that way to well, it. I think this was one of the times where you suddenly, you know, were in media, if I, if I recall, right, correctly. You were, yeah. yeah, Kaiser News um, wanted to interview me. I really had no idea. I've never been in the media. I've always been a medical person. I've never been featured or highlighted and they wanted to, to kind of share my story and my perspective. And my perspective was that of, you know, at that point I started to learn of, of you know, others that were getting injured and they weren't being helped. They weren't being compensated. Um, they weren't being cared for properly. So that was really my goal of this interview was to highlight that, but still very much pro-vaccine. I mean, if you read the article, it hit um, major newspapers all over the world in different languages. It was the front of, you know, page of LA Times. Um, I talked about how I was pro-vaccine. I still wanted my family to to, to get it. And then from there, I started to, you know, we all became this kind of community and I started to realize that there were thousands and thousands of other people where this exact same thing was happening. And the problem was bigger than me just having a rare allergic reaction. And, and by that point, you know, I, I was hoping that it was an allergic reaction because if it was, I would have been fine within a couple of days. You give somebody steroids and within a few days they're fine. I, but the problem took quite a while for me to get through. I went through all of the symptoms that the majority of the vaccine injured are dealing with. You know, I had the cardiac issues. I had the neurological issues. Um, I had, you know, the brain fog issues, the tinnitus, the numbness, the tingling, the weakness on one side of my body, um, difficulty breathing. So I went through all of it, got, and I'm so grateful to have fully recovered. I don't have any of those symptoms anymore thanks to early intervention. Um, which the majority of the vaccine injured don't don't get. And my view of what was going on started to crumble. Uh, uh, it became kind of apparent to me that things were not as I thought they were. I just want to touch on one thing. You know, some doctors in your local hospital, the hospital that you were, you know, you've been working at with this team for a long time, kind of figured out how to help you. How did how did they do that exactly? Because you you know because most people that we've spoken with right for the unseen crisis and and in interviews I've done before, the doctors really have no idea. They ran every single test on me. I had um, I was in with the top allergist immunologist at UCSF, the top allergist immunologist at Stanford Hospital. UCSF even referred me to Stanford Hospital because they wanted all hands on. I was like, you know, their baby and they wanted every single doctor in every specialty taking care of me. I was in the neurology, I was in cardiology. I think I had three or four different cardiologists working me up. Um, I went to um, get testing at Stanford, like a four hour cardiac test workup. And what they did, 
that I think was key for me was that first night of my reaction, they, they realized that, you know, the vaccine injury, it was an inflammatory issue. So a lot of these injuries, it's, it's an inflammatory response. You know, that's why we're seeing myocarditis and um, issues like that. It's, it's, you know, the immune system goes into this overdrive and you have this massive uh, inflammatory reaction. And so immediately they started giving me high dose steroids to calm down my immune system so that my immune system wouldn't continue to attack itself. So I was being monitored, like I, like I said, daily. I was in the doctor's office every single day and they were adjusting meds. They were giving me um, really high dose antihistamines to deal with the histamine response that my body was going through. And it was very aggressive. I mean, I had the best of the best care and, and, I, and I got through it. And I was worse off than some of my friends who weren't that bad in the beginning um, but literally got no care, and now today they are falling apart. They're really, two and a half years later, very, very, very ill and progressively getting worse. I had, I don't even know, maybe 40, 60 doctors looking at me. Ver I mean, various specialties. I saw, you know, hematology, you know, gastroenterology. I saw, like I said, multiple different types of cardiologists, not just regular cardiologists. I saw electrophysicists. I saw um, neurologists that specialized in the heart. So I, I really had incredible care. Has someone and written up your case? It seems like there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of material here that no, was developed. I, I think they could really learn from my case by um, taking a close look at, at what they did and how it went well. And and the other thing that was so wonderful is that the doctors trusted me 100% because I never missed a day of work unless I was giving birth and having my daughter. I, even if I wasn't feeling well, I still showed up to work. And so for me to be that sick, um, they took me really serious. And so I was researching all sorts of things. And I would say, I'd call my doctor and say, I want this test, this test, this test. I don't even know what these are, but I think we should do them. And I had every test ordered, I think, under the sun. Um, just to make sure that there wasn't other things going on. So I was very, very fortunate, very lucky. It just strikes me that there's a, this body of knowledge just around your one case might be helpful Yeah. Um, to, to, to some of this re, you know, research that's being done. And also, this is an example of the system kind of working like it was supposed to actually, yes. isn't it? Absolutely. And, and we just, I, I, the reason I'm remarking on this is just I've heard so little of that Yeah. over the last few years. I really yeah. feel like I'm the only one. I mean, maybe there are others, but I really feel like there's not too many. And I, I do have to take that back. I think that the, the one case that I know, there is a little girl who um, had symptoms very similar to Maddie. And within, That's Maddie DeGarry. Maddie DeGarry, yeah. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, who, as we know, was in the clinical trials and was injured and horrific you know she got the worst care worst care of almost anybody that i know if if not the worst but there is another little girl that i know who had very similar symptoms to maddie DeGarry, and she got treated right away and she is doing remarkable she's back to school she was in a wheelchair she was in diapers um, she regressed she was diagnosed also with that functional neurologic disorder and she got early treatment and she is back to being normal again um, and it's, it, it just goes to show that in medicine, if you make a mistake or if things go wrong, you, you fix it right away because the sooner you correct um, issues, whether it be any disease process, um, the better chance you have of surviving it and having a good outcome. So.
I'm getting a kind of a, a, a tinge of hope here because it just means that the system can function well. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people that I've spoken to just believe that it's so broken. Yeah. Right. Well, that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm doing what I'm doing and speaking out. I want I want awareness. I want help for those. You know, I'll never leave anybody behind. And there is a little bit of you know survivor's guilt when you go through something with all of these people and you're one of the ones that make it out okay and all these people are left behind struggling. I, you know, lay awake at night because I'm so devastated by what's happening to them. And so if I can help bring awareness that we need to do better for these people, we need to help them, we need to get them treatment, we need to get them diagnosed, there needs to be urgency in this. And so I'm, I'm happy to share my story with as many people as I can, you know, because I do hope that for them and I do hope and feel in my heart that they can heal, they can get better, there's hope for them. A number of people reached out to you after this Kaiser piece because it was so prominent, like people who had been injured and just weren't see, weren't getting the kind of care that you did. Yes. Um, so, so tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so there wasn't much in the media about vaccine injuries because all you heard was they were safe and effective. I mean, it was being told to us every single day, everywhere. So people that were getting injured, they would just type in Google, you know, are there any vaccine injuries out there? And my name would pop up and my number was not blocked and they could find me and I was getting calls from people. And, um, you know, I had one friend, um, Ray Galvin, who was a very, very dear friend of mine. He lived close by to me. Um, we spoke almost every day. He has a beautiful family and kids and we shared doctors and we did treatments together and we went, you know, and he kind of, he didn't get treated until later on in the game because he didn't find me. I think that article might've hit maybe four to six months, um, out. And so he was just kind of suffering, not knowing what to do. The most heartbreaking thing for me is he passed away a year after his vaccine injury and I lost him, you know, um, and that was really, really difficult for me to, to go through. Um, I've lost friends who have, you know, recently ended their life. You know, I had a very dear friend um, in Los Angeles who ended her life um, because she couldn't take it anymore. And so it's been really uh, heartbreaking. Um, it haunts me. And I, I have to keep on fighting because I, I, I won't be able to sleep at night if, if I don't get help for these people and, and try and prevent um, this from continuing to happen. You mentioned to me at one point that you started really thinking about the prevalence of these injuries after you noticed in your area there were a number of children that were that had vaccine injuries. That was about the time where things began to crumble. In my, my little area, I live in Sonoma County, um, we had a boy who was 15 years old, his name was Oden Robinson. Um, he got his second vaccine and two days later after his second va vaccine, he was found unresponsive by his parents. And on the coroner's report, it showed that he had um, cardiomyopathy and um, coronary artery inflammation. And in the setting of you know a vaccine two days prior, other than that, he was perfectly healthy. We also lost a seven-year-old little girl um, who will remain nameless because her parents are undocumented and are afraid to speak out because they'll get deported back to Mexico. And then there was another case of a 15-year-old um, 
in my neighborhood who was playing basketball with a group of friends and he went into cardiac arrest and collapsed. And fortunately his friends were smart, um, brave boys, did CPR on him, got a defibrillator. They were at a, like a high school. There was a defibrillator there, like early treatment and he survived, um, but very lucky. And so with two losses of children and a potential, you know, close call for the third, I started to realize they weren't talked about, like nobody knows about these kids. Um, they're not, these are not parents that speak out. And I began to wonder like how many other kids in other neighborhoods this was happening to, you know, I, I couldn't just sit back and be quiet anymore. It was a much bigger problem than, than we re than I realized. And so I was invited to speak to the CDC and the FDA. Um, another vaccine injured dear friend of mine who has connections with HHS called me and said, I, I really would like you to speak with them. I have an opportunity where we can talk to them for an hour, you know, all the heads of CDC and the FDA. And so I was invited along with uh, Dr. Malone, uh, Dr. Ryan Cole, Dr. Jessica Rose, um, Ernest was there, um, you know, Maddie DeGarry was there and, and Martha, another vaccine injured. And so I was really happy to know that they were gonna listen to us and this was gonna be the end of it. I mean, I felt in my heart like this is gonna be the end of it because they're gonna, we're gonna present all this evidence to them and talk, talk to them. And you know, they were very nice to us on the interview. Um, they spent a good hour with us. They listened to us. They let us ask questions. Um, they gave us their email. They told us they'd have a follow-up meeting. Um, they you know, promised us that they would really take a close look at what we were telling them. And we never heard back from them. Uh, I emailed them multiple times, um, asking them to please follow up. I'd like, I'd like to be in communication and, and um, talk with them. And I basically, that was the last time. I, I never heard from them after that, that meeting. We reached out to the FDA about Angela Wilbrecht's story, but the FDA declined to comment, saying the FDA does not disclose personally identifiable information. And for me, that was really difficult because these are the people that that I felt like I was a part of. I was part of their team and I was on their side and I, you know, they were gonna be there to fix us and to save us. And that was a very hard realization for me because my, my whole identity, you know, other than having a baby and being a mother, my whole identity was being a nurse. That was, that was who I was, I, almost too much so. You know? Um, you know, dancing was a passion of mine, but being a nurse was number one for me. And so that was really, really difficult for me um, and I decided at that point I was going to reach out to the NIH. I knew that they were looking into, you know, the small group of, I think there was 11 um, people being studied there. And I thought, you know what, if the CDC and the FDA are not going to listen to me, they will because they're, they're doctors, you know, they're, they're, we're together in this. And so um, I reached out to Dr. Nath, um, who's the head of neurology at the NIH, and I sent him all my credentials from the hospitals, showed him the type of nurse that I was, and that I needed his help. He was wonderful. He would email me back right away. I would present him with cases of um, vaccine injured that were really, really bad. Actually, some that are in the documentary saying, this person is really bad, Dr. Nath. Like, I'd send him videos of what they look like and what, what do you think we should do? And is there a doctor in this area that can take a look at them? And so he would send me doctors. And these communications would go back and forth, and I was so grateful. And then it got to the point where the injuries were just beyond what I could take. I mean, horrific. I've never actually seen anything 
so shocking in medicine as, you know, and I, I, at this point I'm like flying around seeing vaccine injured. Um, we had done, I think, defeat the mandates. I had to, ca to carry Angelia Dizelle off the stage because she started shaking uncontrollably. Um, Amanda, who was our event planner, um, was having these apneic seizure-like episodes and it just became so bad. I was getting a little bit frustrated that I was getting more and more and seeing more and more. And so I said to him in one of my emails, I said, Dr. Nath, I really want you to take a look at this data. There's this guy named Steve Kirsch. He's compiled it. And I think it's a much bigger problem than maybe you might even be aware of. And what I was hoping for is that he'd start screaming, you know, like we do in medicine. If we see something wrong, if we observe it, we speak out, we, we do the right thing for patients. It was my first response back from him it was kind of a generic, I don't know if he's the one that responded back to me or if it was someone else, but it was like this generic email, which I share with you, um, saying that he does not treat vaccine injuries and that if I had any further questions to look at the CDC website. And that was basically the gist of it. And at that point, I realized I was kind of up against a beast that, you know, my whole perception of you know, these people caring for us and putting us first and putting our health and safety first was, was not that. And that there was maybe potentially greed and money and power that came before what actually was happening to us. And that was the point that I decided to join um, the VSRF team and, and really kind of go big. And, and, and get out there because I tried, I tried the doc, you know, I tried talking to them, I tried emailing them, I tried to do what you generally will do um, when something goes wrong, you have a face-to-face -face conversation. Um, and when I started realizing that that just wasn't getting me anywhere, um, I joined the VSRF team, and, you know, that was founded by Steve Kirsch. And um, we set out, you know, it lit a fire in me to like move mountains. And, you know, looking back in, in one year, you know, we were a, a team of, I think, less than 10 people and none of us had a background in event planning and media. You know, we're all walks of life, just really passionate about caring for people. And within a year, you know, we put on two Defeat the Mandates with, you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, we did Deep in the Heart of Texas, where we brought Asim Halter out from the UK for the first time to meet up with Dr. McCullough. Um, we did the first COVID litigation conference. Um, we're actually planning a second COVID litigation conference in uh, March of next year in Las Vegas, along with another conference called Replatform, where we're kind of doing a parallel economy with um, freedom thinkers coming together. And so that's what I do. I spend my days talking to injured, helping them find doctors, helping them with what testing to do, helping them with medical care, being a friend, being somebody that they can call. You know. I, I've, something that occurred to me, you know, I think multiple times is a huge silver lining of this whole madness of the last however many years is meeting some really fantastic, principled, dedicated, moving mountains type, <laughs> to use your term, people, which I'm incredibly grateful for. I, I just got back actually from the Seychelles Islands taking care of my vaccine injured mom. Um, and so I got home three days ago and it was so important for me to come out here to New York. I'm still completely jet lagged, um, but I flew from the Seychelles to California and then to New York because this documentary really means so much to me. Um, it's something that I am so proud of and the entire team, um, Cindy with NTD News and Epic Times, um, just 
putting this documentary on, I really think that it, you know, it exposes our who we truly are, our, you know, vulnerabilities are very intimately. Um, in the documentary, I read for the first time that nobody even knew a letter that I wrote to my daughter when I thought I was dying. I didn't think I was going to survive. And the whole crew was so wonderful. You know, here we were being filmed, but I felt like I was with family. I felt very safe. And, and I think it's really an important documentary because it shows that you know, we're human beings, we're real people. Uh, we get labeled as, you know, anti-vax, right-wing, um, which I was none of, you know, I was pro-vax. And if people really sat down and watched and saw who we, who we are, um, it could change the minds of a lot of people who might be in the middle. And, and I hope doctors out there, you know, all over will watch this and see, um, see it because it's really impactful. And I think, you know, for me personally, this documentary really helped heal um, one of the aspects that was left of my vaccine injury, and that was that of the post-traumatic stress. You know, I went through hell and back. It was the scariest time of my life. And being able to share my story with such a loving group of people who cared about us. You know, I had never met you all and never met Cindy, and just the love and compassion that they, share, that they showed us wanting to tell our story um, meant so much that it really healed. You know, I felt after doing that documentary, I felt more relaxed. I felt um, less anxious. Um, it really was like almost like the last bit of the process of the puzzle of getting through this. It's amazing. I'm so glad that, 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 that it could play that kind of a role. I mean, I, we have heard things in this realm from, from some of the other folks that are, yeah. that, 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 that are in the piece. And, you know, with, with any luck, you know, it will reach a wider birth, a wider eyes. That's kind of, I, I imagine it, it could be for people that, you know, still don't know what to think about this. Yeah. Right, that at least are a bit open-minded. I think we're born good, and there's, there's goodness in, in the majority of people, and so if they can just tap into that and, and see, see us as, as, you know, human beings that wanted to do the right thing, that wanted to help. We all went into this because we we wanted the vaccine and um, and we wanted to help. You know, make sure that we were protecting grandma and grandpa and and so we went into it with a good heart. And I'm hoping that people will see that and want to help with their good hearts as well, knowing that that's where we came from. We didn't come from, you know, a group of angry anti-vaxxers that wanted to like destroy the narrative. We didn't, we didn't want that. I, we wanted it to work. I wanted, I was so hopeful that these vaccines were going to be the end to this pandemic. I keep thinking about these various uh, slurs, you know, pejorative terms and things that have been turned into them, you know, like right wing. How, how is that? Yeah. How is that a pejorative term? I don't even understand, right? No. Anti-vax is like a, this sort of blanket statement to to kind of put you in a category that people are supposed to hate yeah. or something. Well, it's um, very discriminatory. I mean, it's, well, in California, New York, so many places where, you know, if you didn't get the vaccine, you couldn't do certain things. You couldn't um, go to plays, you couldn't go dance, you couldn't do enjoyable things in life that other people could. You, you know, couldn't go to work. Some people couldn't go to work because they didn't get it. I've never seen, such discrimination in the medical community. Here we're supposed to take good care of people and people are being denied organs because they choose not to take an experimental shot that has known safety, you know, adverse safety 
effects and we're discriminating against them and not saving their life. I mean, aren't we supposed to save everybody's life? We in the hospital, in the ER, we wouldn't care if you had insurance, if you were undocumented, if you were black, white, gay, whatever. Like we, it, it's actually a law. Well, you or, have to help everybody. Or just really stupid and did really dumb things to yes. get yourself into whatever predicament you were. You would Absolutely. never say, sorry, you were stupid. We're not going to help you. Absolutely. You know? I, I mean, I took care of criminals. I The hospital, the, the UCSF campus that I was at, we were right, you know, three minutes down the road from San Quentin, which is the big prison where they would do, you know, death row and it was where the hardcore criminals would, you know, would end up. We would have, have them come into our ER and these are people that are like mass murderers and did horrible things in their life. I took just as good of, good of care of them and gave them nurturing, love, respect, comfort, you know, protected them, kept them safe. And so for me to see this level of discrimination is really, truly shocking. The best way to describe it is I wake up every day and I think I'm in a nightmare. And I'm like, this, is, this can't be real. And then I realize it is real. And it's been two and a half years of this like nightmare. And so it's really interesting for me coming from a country that I wanted to get away from. Not that I didn't love my family, um, but I almost feel like I'm, I'm what I ran away from, I'm actually living in. If you don't have choice, you have tyranny. And, you know, where is our freedom? Where is our freedom of speech when we're all being censored? We can't share what really happened to us. Where is the democracy? Where is a government that cares about what happened to us when we did what they told us to do? Um, so my, my hope and goal is, you know, I came into this with love. I came into the world with love and I'm going to go out with love and I'm going to keep on um, trying to help them see us. You know, if one thing fails, I go on to the next. And so um, last year I joined a lawsuit with, you know, some of the best attorneys that we have in our country that are fighting these kind of unlawful mandates. Um, Warner Mendenhall and um, Jeremy Friedman is our attorney in California. There's a whole team of them. And so it is a class action lawsuit. There's um, six plaintiffs that I'm, you know, I'm one of them. And we are suing the whole UC system. And all six of us that are in it, that are suing, we're all nurses and doctors. And we all have our own horrific story, but the one thing that we all share in common is the hurt that was caused by these, you know, unlawful policies. And um, I, I'm really hopeful. I, 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 I think that we are going to win it. I believe that we will. If, if I may ask, though, but it's but you were treated well. So yes. where, so what, 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 which harms are you talking about here? Yes. So the main focus of the lawsuit is the right to privacy, which is in our California Constitution. Um, the other thing is the international norm against you know, human experimentation without complete informed consent. So when it comes to informed consent, if you just take a look at consent, uh, in order to give consent, there cannot be any fraud, there cannot be any force or any um, coercion when you're giving consent, medical consent. And these UC employees were forced to get the vaccine. Um, and if they didn't, they lost their job, they lost their livelihoods, they lost their access to health care. Um, so there's that aspect. And then the other, you know, if not maybe more important aspect of it is the informed part of it. And that's kind of where I come into the lawsuit. We, we believe that the UC system knows about the negative efficacy as well as the harm. And so what I want to know is 
what did they know before they started mandating their employees to get this vaccine. You know, I wanted to go back to work there. I had been working there for 17 years. I got my vaccine to go back to work. What did they know before I came back in? And then also what happened afterwards? So, for example, in my department, you know, in women, infants, and children, my OBGYN, the doctor who delivered my baby, he was given the vaccine. He went into AFib immediately, had to get cardioverted, had to have surgery, had to get an ablation. They thought it was just a coincidence because, you know, AFib can happen to anybody. And he got his second vaccine, you know, three weeks later, four weeks later, and went right back into AFib again. And so the cardiologist recognized, like, this, you had a reaction to the vaccine. Um, tragically, his son, three months later, got the vaccine, felt ill, and was dead and died of cardiac issues. So we had that happen. Then we had uh, Dr. Jan Mizell, who's also one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit, highly respected um, pediatrician. She was a molecular biologist at, at Berkeley, a super intelligent, smart woman, um, then decided to become a pediatrician. She got the vaccine and immediately had the exact same reaction that I had, was in the hospital, and unfortunately she was forced into early retirement because she did not recover. And then my injury happened a couple of weeks after that. Um, since then, I've heard that one of our OR techs in, our, in the unit where I worked um, missed over six months worth of work um, due to his vaccine injury. And because I was getting all this incredible care, every time I would go to the hospital, you know, I'd go to radiology to have a um, MRI on my heart, and my, my radiology tech who was doing my, my test, she said, you know, I just have to tell you, I got injured as well, I, I, I missed work, and we're seeing all sorts of things here in the radiology department. And then I would go in for an ultrasound because I was having the usual menstrual issues that so many women deal with. And my ultrasonographer would tell me, we're seeing this like crazy, we have a problem. And then I would go to my um, treadmill stress test to check the, you know, making sure my heart was okay. And my technician would tell me, you know, we're seeing a lot of people come in with palpitations and, you know, we're really busy. And so we believe that, that the UC system has, you know, a treasure trove of medical data and epidemiological data that, that I think the court and the jury needs to take a close look at. You know, and so that's kind of where I come into it. I wasn't an employee at the time when it happened, but I had worked there for 17 years and they, you know, it's, it's really unlawful in medicine if you know of something that's going on and you don't share that with the community. We hear it all the time. These, you know, these doctors that, that they're slammed, they're busy, they, they, they know, but they can't speak up, especially in California, because if you speak up in California, they go after your license. Your OBGYN, his son, I think, passed yeah. after after the vaccine, and so there's 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 been some discussion of there being kind of genetic correlates with people who react who have who have these reactions. And you mentioned that your that your mom is vaccine injured. So can you tell me a bit about that? Is that okay? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, so back when I, you know, when the vaccines were rolling out, my mom. Like I said, I was encouraging all my family to get it. My mom, you know, in her early 70s at the time and decided to get both of her shots uh, and I was fine with that. And she did perfectly well with both of them. She had no issues whatsoever. So it came time for her booster and she decided to get it because she figured, 
you know, I had the first two, I was fine, so I'm gonna get the third one. Um, I did try and talk her out of the booster, and she just really didn't listen to me and got it and immediately had a reaction. She um, felt horrible. She had joint pain. She sent me pictures of her eye. She didn't know what it was, but she had severe pain in her face and she had all these lesions, which ended up being shingles. Mind you, she had already been vaccinated with a shingles vaccine. So for her to have this horrific case of shingles, um, which is so common with a vaccine injured because it dampers and weakens your immune system. So all these dormant viruses come to life. Um, so she had the shingles and unfortunately it didn't end there. Um, she started noticing that she was losing her vision um, in her right eye, peripheral vision. She couldn't see, she couldn't drive. Um, and so I brought her to the US because I was like, I, I, you know, I have access to medical care here, the best of the best. I brought her here, she had a um, blood clot in her retinal vein and we treated that immediately and fortunately her vision did return, came back. Um, but then I went and had her go through a whole bunch of other testing and she turned out to have uh, developed an autoimmune condition called antiphospholipid syndrome. And so now she's on blood thinners for life. And that's also another autoimmune condition that we are seeing. You know, um, my dear friend um, Cody, who is 21 years old, um, got got the J&J &J and developed this and developed, you know, had a stroke and had blood clots and, you know, is a, just a warrior of a kid. And, you know, we're seeing this. My mom has the same thing. And so her first message to me afterwards was, Angela, I think I might be having a vaccine reaction. And I said, you are, mom. You know, I'm so sorry, but you are. And so my mom is vaccine injured. And, you know, that's another thing that it would be really helpful if they looked at the genetics of, you know, is there a predisposition of some of us to, to have these injuries? Um, they, they, there's so many things that they could be doing. You've had two, you know, incredibly traumatic experiences in your life, both of which seem to have put you into the service of a great many people who have benefited, yeah. <laughs> benefited a lot. Um, I don't want to make light of the, of, of, of the traumas and, and so forth, but it's just, there's something kind of beautiful about that. If I'm never allowed to work in another hospital again for speaking out, for doing the right thing, um, for helping the helpless, that's okay. If they wanna come after my nursing license and take it away from me for exposing the truth and trying to help people, that's okay too, because I went in this to, to care for people. I went in this, you know, to, do my duty to put patients first to you know protect them and if they want to take that away from me i will i will go out with that um, and so i really want to instill that those values of mine into my child and you know i also want to be an example for the medical community for nurses and doctors out there that you know if we all collectively speak up if we do the right thing um, we can get through this and you can make mistakes and you can admit mistakes and it's what we do in medicine. When you make a mistake, you can admit it and you have to fix it. And so I want help for all the vaccine injured. I want compensation for all those that have been hurt, for all the lives that have been lost. Um, and so, you know, for me, if I can accomplish those things, which I will die trying, um, this vaccine was, was worth it. It was worth every bit of it. 
And, you know, it was something that I'm grateful that happened to me because if I can do those things, I, I will be very, very blessed. So <laughs> that's my goal. <laughs> well, Angela Wolbrecht, it's such a pleasure to have had you on. Such a pleasure to be here. And thank you so much for all that you do for creating this safe space for us. And we really, you know, all the vaccine injured really appreciate you. So thank you so much for the from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you. Thank you all for joining Angela Wilbrecht and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders. I'm your host, Yanya Kellek. Thank you.